Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... no way these people have anything in common until they started singing and then I knew what it was and I came to realize that the work of the church is to bring individuals not the same people people who are just individuals who God has uniquely made to bring them to a personal commitment to Jesus Christ as different as we might be once those people have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ to help them become mature in their faith. Today's message is a great introduction to the book of Philippians. Pastor Jim explains Paul's letter written to a group of diverse people that he's trying to unify in the goal of pressing on in their faith. Pastor Jim explains that the church should be about the good news of Jesus Christ and we need to join together for that cause. He says there needs to be a depth of fellowship, love, and a common goal amongst fellow believers. Let's learn to be joyful servants of Christ by sharing with others the truth about God and His Son. Now, let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1, as we join Pastor Jim for part one of his message entitled, Joyful Servants. We'll have more information about the church and how you can get a copy of today's message, but for now, here's Pastor Jim. There are certain things in life that you just can't escape. Now, I know the two most famous ones are death and taxes, but there's a new one that I feel like I just can't escape. You say, what's that? Uh, It is a song by that great theologian Pharrell Williams called Happy. It seems like everywhere I go, that song is on. Maybe God is like, Jim, you need to be happy. You're grumpy. I don't know what it is, but it seems to be everywhere. Now, if you're under 30 and you like that song, um, in about 25 years, you're going to be riding with your kids in the car, and you're going to be listening to your goofy oldie station, and that song's going to come on. And your kids are going to go, you're kidding me. You like that song? (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens to all of us when we try and bring in our songs from yesteryear. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for being happy. Given the choice of being miserable, of being happy, I will choose happy every time. I don't know if I'm so into singing over and over again with Pharrell. This is what he says, give me bad news, can't nothing bring me down. And he keeps going over and over again, give me bad news, give me bad news. I'm not for that. That's not for me. Now, that's from a movie. There's another movie, if you're on the older side of things, where another theologian by the name of Pollyanna was talking to Carl Malden when he was having one of his weaker pastoral moments. He was the pastor of the local church. And she said to him, you know, the Bible has a lot of happy texts. And so many of you know that I am often at war with the happy calendars that so many people have that only have the happy verses. And we here at our church have a hate-love relationship with them. Not love-hate, hate-love. I hate those calendars, and the people in our church love to give them to me as a gag gift, and they're just, I have them everywhere because I am, you know, always looking at them. And you say, well, why do you hate them? It's not that I hate them. I'm just wary, very wary, in fact, of anything that, that reduces the Bible to simply being about me and my own personal happiness. 
because that's just not the real world. That's not the world in which we find ourselves living in. I'm, I'm wary of something that reduces God's word to be exclusively being about, about me, exclusively about my life. You say, you say, why would you be wary of such a thing? Because I've come to realize, and many of you know this, that sometimes what I want and what God wants are in conflict. Sometimes what we want and what God desires or what it means to follow God are going to be in conflict. And if our faith is based solely on just being happy, if our faith is just solely based on everything going well, I can guarantee you we're going to fail. I can guarantee you it's not going to uh, work for us. You've seen this if you've been in part of the church for any length of time. You've seen people that want happiness so much, it becomes their God. It becomes their idol. It becomes all they are focused on getting, and then life gets hard, and what do they do? They quit. Now, some don't quit. What they do then, if they're only focused on happiness, is they stay but they begin to adjust the Bible. They begin to adjust their faith to fit their needs, to meet their needs. And the Bible writers would tell us, you know, that's really not faith at all. Now, the, the book of Philippians, the epistle, the letter to the Philippians, is a happy calendar manufacturer's dream. Like you could just, if you want to make some money, you could be like, Happy thoughts from the book of Philippians, because there are so many of the most common happy texts, according to Pollyanna, if you will, verses in the Bible are found in the book of Philippians, but we will lose the true impact of them and what God has for us in them if we just pluck them out. Nothing wrong with plucking verses out, trust me, but if we just pluck them out and we don't consider them within the context in which they are written. This letter, this book, is often called the, the book or the letter of joy. I would say it's more about a deep confidence in Jesus Christ when things get rough. I would say it's more so about uh, faith and trust and inner joy, inner peace, when the world seems to be spinning out of control. Now, the word joy is going to be used 16 or 17 times. But the name Jesus Christ is going to be used 50. And so it is a book about Jesus and how to be joyful in him. So I would actually say that Philippians is a joyful letter. As we're going to see, written by a man in jail who is living with the joy of Jesus Christ in his heart and in his life. Now, you might immediately think, well, he must be getting out of jail soon. Actually, he has no idea. He could actually, we don't know, he could actually be on death row, but he has an inner joy, an inner peace that is helping him to live when everything on the outside seems to be going terribly for him. Now, today, as we said, is just the introduction, and, and so there's a... Uh, way that they would write letters back then. You know, we get letters if there's no return address on it. We immediately flip through all the pages, go to the end, see who wrote it, 
and then we're like, well, I have to read it now, or I have no time, whatever. They would, they would start out right away, and they would sign the letter right from the, the get-go. Many of you have heard the story of the pastor who got a, a letter, and he opened it up, and it just said, fool. And he said, this is the first time I ever got a letter where the person signed it and forgot to write it. <laughs> so they would sign their names at the beginning. So he starts with the writer, Paul, that's the writer, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the epistles or the letters of the New Testament. These are letters written to churches about faith and practice, what the church is supposed to look like. These are the founders of the early churches, and they're writing, this is what, you know, they're explaining Jesus to us, and they're explaining how the church is to operate. Paul and Timothy, Timothy is with him there, uh, could be a house arrest, could be just he had access to him, they allowed visitors, very controversial prisoner Paul was, and at least the four times we know that he was arrested, Timothy was his young protege, what we often call a son in the faith. Uh, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, then he names the recipients to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, and then the traditional greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the writer is the Apostle Paul. You can read about him, particularly in Acts chapter 9. A little bit is mentioned before him in chapter 7 and 8. He was a religious leader, a Christian hater, who met Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and becomes who is arguably the most full-on Christian whoever walked the face of the earth. Now, Philippians is a letter that he is writing from jail to a church that he founded. About 20 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul comes into the city of Philippi, what we know today as uh, northern Greece, sort of a, a designed city, kind of designed after Rome, where a lot of people think that he's in jail, and he comes in and he starts a church. He's, he's what we call a church planter. And what a church planter is generally is someone who goes to an area where they don't know people, they open up the Bible, they begin to teach people the Bible, they begin to preach to people, they begin to tell people how to become followers of Jesus Christ, and sometimes yes, sometimes no. It's not really the ability of the person as much as it is the grace of God. Sometimes God will raise up a church and a bunch of people will come and they will decide that this will be their church. And so if you go to Acts chapter 16 in your Bible, you can read about the founding of the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul, his friend Silas, his other friend, his young protege Timothy, and Dr. Luke, who you know, you know a guy's in trouble when he has to take a doctor with him because he's getting beat up and arrested everywhere he goes. And so he, he takes Dr. Luke with him. Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, they show up in Philippi. They're looking for a synagogue where they can teach people about Jesus. There's none there. They have to go down to the river. They meet a woman by the name of Lydia and other women that are down there worshiping by the river, and they tell them about Jesus Christ. They tell them the good news of the gospel, that man has turned their back on God, and God calls that sin. We, we like to think we're not sinners. I sometimes like to equate it to selfish and self-centered. And so we have been that way towards God, and they told them that God's solution to the problem was God himself became a man, lived a perfect life that we should have lived in our place, died a sinner's death 
on a cross in our place, and then because God was satisfied with Jesus' life and death, God raised him from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of God and is waiting to return. And whoever would believe in this, whoever would trust, embrace the gospel, the good news, God would forgive them of their sins and he would give them eternal life. Acts chapter 16, verse 14, has a beautiful statement that I pray for everybody who comes to this church. Everybody. So if you're here today, I have already prayed this for you, and it says this about Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So the apostle spoke the good news, and the Lord in his kindness, in his graciousness, opened her heart to put her trust in Jesus Christ. You think, that, what, that's great. What a good start. Well, whenever God is at work, there's another guy at work too. And so as they're out there talking, they meet this demon-possessed girl. And it says in Acts 16 that she brought her masters a lot of money through fortune-telling. And this is what she said. Remember in Mark's gospel, we saw the demons. They knew who Jesus was long before anybody else did. And this is what she says. This is far from from the land of Israel, so they're, they're far away. And this is what happens. It says that she starts yelling out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. So she's yelling out as they're trying to tell people about Jesus. What happens next gives me a measure of great comfort. It says that the Apostle Paul was greatly annoyed. I like that. If you'd like to think he'd be like, oh, do stop. But he's like, get out of here, get out of here. But instead, what does he do? He says to the demon, get out of her, get out of her. And the demon comes out and she becomes part of this early church. Now we think, oh, isn't this really wonderful? But did you notice what I remember what I said? I said that she brought her masters much money by fortune telling. What's up with the much money by fortune telling gig? It's done. Yeah. They just ruined their business. And so these guys go to the authorities, have Paul and Silas arrested, beaten without a trial, and thrown into jail. Chapter 16, verse 25 says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. Isn't that amazing? Beaten, arrested without a trial, and they're having a church service in the jail. Not feeling sorry for themselves, probably telling the guys in the jail, hey, what are you in for? Oh, I'm glad you asked, right? And then just telling them about God. And it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Then we're told there's an earthquake, the doors open, The guard who's in charge of the prison, he is petrified because if the prisoners escaped, then they killed you. That was good deterrent, not to get the prisoners to escape. We covered that in the Gospel of Mark. And he thinks they're going to die, so he's just about to kill himself. The Apostle Paul yells, no, we're all here. Don't worry about it. So having experienced the earthquake, the terror of God, if you will, the fear for his life, was was talking with somebody recently, one of the problems that we have is we don't think we're that bad until we talk about sin being self-centeredness and selfish, and then we're like, well, maybe I'm a little worse than I thought I was. And he says this, what must I do to be saved? And they said, go be a good person. No, that's not what they said. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe, trust, embrace, rely. Put your faith only in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
So the next day, the authorities find out some really bad news for them. They found out that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. You're not allowed to beat Roman citizens because so they're part of the Roman Empire, and they find out that they could be in a lot of trouble, and they're like, well, you can go. You know, no problemo, man. Sorry about that. Have a good day. So they tell them to leave town. Now, just imagine you come into a town. You don't find a church, right? You're looking for a church. You don't find a church. You meet some demon-possessed girl. The owners have you beaten. You get thrown out of jail, and they go, you can go. To me, I would be like, where's the next express train to anywhere? I want to be out of this place. So what do they do? They go to Lydia's house, the rich woman they met at the river, and what do they do? They start a church. They start a church. Now, we live in an age where people are generally now affiliating churches by age. Not really the best way to do it. I, what I love, I love is now finally the church is not as segregated based on color an ethnic group. I love that. That is the church of heaven. I always pray that we would be an ethnically diverse uh, church, right? But now we start a lot of churches based where everybody's kind of the same. That's sort of a big popular church model that's out there. But just look at the Philippian church. Imagine you're sitting there in the Philippian church. There's the Apostle Paul, right, with his buddy Silas. The Apostle Paul is the church hater, now church lover. He's got Timothy there, and who's a church kid, really, and he's there. They've got Dr. Luke there. He's like, Paul, you can't keep preaching. I mean, they, they beat you silly. What are you doing? Then they have this rich lady named Lydia. We'll see that they have the jailer from Philippi, and they also have his family is there too, and the demon-possessed chick, and who knows what kind of friend she brought with her, right? So you have this crazy, crazy group. That, that's getting together and they are worshiping God. But that's what makes the church beautiful. I remember, I remember in 1988, somebody brought me to a church and I'm like, black guy, white guy, yellow guy. I felt like the green Martian guy. <laughs> like I was so out of place. Old people, young people, rich people, poor people. And I'm th I remember thinking to myself, because I'm a bit of a sociologist at heart, like there's no way these people have anything in common until they started singing. And then I knew what it was. And I came to realize that the work of the church is to bring individuals, not the same people, people who are just individuals who God has uniquely made to bring them to a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. As different as we might be, once those people have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ to help them become mature in their faith. That's why here we study the Bible verse by verse to help you become mature in the Christian faith, not immature what I think that you need to know and you need to do. So what happens after they raise up the church there? The apostle Paul leaves. He goes traveling more through the Roman Empire. What's he going to go do? He's going to go plant more churches. And so those people continue in the work of the church, just replicating what the apostle had taught them to found their church on prayer and preaching of the word of God, the love of people, and joyful service to God. So that happened 20 years after Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now let's fast forward another 10 years, another 10 years. And maybe some of the people are not as excited as they used to be. Maybe they're getting a little worried about certain things, especially now that their leader is in prison. So they get worried whether he's in jail. They send him a gift. They want him to know that they're worried about him. And what does he do? He writes back this letter from jail because of why? He's worried about them. 
he's worried that all of the difficulties in life is starting to derail their faith. All of the busyness, all the trials and tribulations of life is beginning to wear on them, getting difficult. You know what I, I really hate to hear? I hate to hear when new people come to faith in Jesus Christ in our church and the old cranky, crusty, crotchety Christians say to them, it's not always going to be like this. Shame on us for ever saying that. May we all go down on our knees every day and beg God that it would always be that joyful first love that Jesus has been for so many of us. In fact, he explains his joy in these people in verse 5. He says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What's he saying? He's saying, I love the fact that some of you are about the good news of Jesus Christ, even though things are hard. I am so glad that for the last 10 years, you have hung in there when the future was uncertain. He's telling them, I'm thankful for you. I'm hopeful for you because you're joyful servants. If you're taking notes, we want to just jot down three quick things in this introduction. Number one is joyful servants of Christ. Verse one, Paul and Timothy, we covered them already, bond servants of Jesus Christ. So with this church, some could say it's his favorite. We did 1 Corinthians three years ago. That was his problem child. There was a depth of fellowship. There was a depth of love. There was a common goal with this church. And what was that common goal? They were in it together for the cause of Christ. And may I be so bold as to say that if we don't grasp what I just said, that there was a fellowship and a unity in the cause of Christ, if we don't understand that, no matter how many happy verses we know from the book of Philippians, we will miss the message. This is a letter to a group of people that he is trying to unify them in the goal of pressing on in the faith and, if you will, gathering others into the faith by telling them the truth, not about religion, but about God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the cause. There's a lot of great causes out there. A lot of great causes. And I think that sometimes we should be using some things that we have, the ability to meet with people and feed people and help people. But ultimately it is to feed them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in a usury way, but to tell them the good news. We see the apostles' love of Jesus and of them in the term bond servants. Our English Bibles clean up a lot of these words to make it more palatable to them. And I understand why with this, this word, it literally means a willing slave. So he says, Paul and Timothy, willing slaves of Jesus Christ. Willing slaves, we covered this in, in Mark's gospel, of one we really believe because the apostle Paul had seen him, is risen and is alive. Now, in their culture, slavery was different than it is in our culture. It was more uh, kind of like being a, you know, a cooperative employment agreement and uh, definitely still near the bottom of the rung of the social ladder. And, and for some people, the only way to survive, nothing at all, nothing really in most cases, some exceptions, uh, similar to what went on in this country. 
It's one of the saddest things. Talk about a blotch on the history of our country. But it's not, all, it's not either the pride of some people saying, I'm no slave. I think if we said, I'm no slave to people, that the apostle might say to us, that's really a shame. Because I'm a slave. I'm a willing slave. You see, how important this word is when we get to chapter 2, because this word is actually going to be used of Jesus himself. That he who was God became a slave to serve mankind. Well, that concludes the teaching portion of today's broadcast of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Moores Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Join us next time as Pastor Jim continues teaching through the book of Philippians. You can learn more about Changed by Love and Pastor Jim by visiting our website. The web address is changedbyloveradio.com. Again, the web address is www.changedbyloveradio.com. Changed by Love exists because of the generous donations of our listeners, and we would like to ask all of our listeners who have never written us to preferably consider writing us today and let us know that you are listening to the broadcast. In fact, many of your letters are read to our congregation to encourage them in this ministry. You can write to us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You can also give us a call for more information, request resources, or for prayer at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. You can also send us an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. If you are in the Morris County, New Jersey area, we would love to have you visit us. We are located in the center of Morris County on Route 15 South. That's all for today. Until next time, God bless you, and our prayer is that you too would be changed by love.